Amen. This song talks about seeing Him do it again. I'd love to see God do a, a mighty movement in the United States of America and around the world, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd like to see it soon, wouldn't you? So let's ask Him to do that. So we're kicking off a new series this morning in the book of Nehemiah. If you want to find your place there, Nehemiah. This series will be called just 2020 Vision. We're in 2020, and what a great year to talk about vision. And Nehemiah is just a great book that talks about vision and leadership. Nehemiah is one of the, our 12 uh, books of history in the Bible. If you all remember from Sunday school, the first five books is called what? Law, Decalogue, yeah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then we have 12 books of what we call history, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. And in those 12 books, uh, we have a record of kind of the history of Israel, how they started, and, and uh, the kings, and their rebellion, and, and all that. Well, Nehemiah is one of these books. It's uh, really, it's, it's, not, it's the last one uh, chronologically, but uh, in the Bible, Esther comes after it, but it's one of the history books. And uh, if we just wanted to do a broad overview of the Old Testament, Israel's history in particular, we know that uh, around Genesis 12, God calls out a man, his name is Abram, it would be changed to Abraham, but, but God calls him to kind of be the father of the, the Jewish nation, he promises him uh, the land and descendants, and, uh, and so we follow that, we know after a couple of uh, generations, the Israelites end up in Egypt. That's at the time of Joseph. There's a famine in the land, and so they, they move to Egypt, and Joseph has uh, allowed them to come and have part of the land. And then we know that Joseph dies, Pharaoh dies, the Egyptians are enslaved, and uh, after hundreds of years of enslavement, they cry out to God. God raises up a man named Moses. You all are familiar with this. Moses, uh, God uses him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. This is where the ten plagues come in. That's Exodus 7 through 12. And so God brings them out. Uh, he leads them by a, a pillar of fire at night, a cloud during the day. He provides them with manna to eat. Uh, that's all in the book of Exodus. He takes them there to the, the border of the land of Canaan, the promised land. And, and we know that they don't have faith. Uh, they think, well, those people are too big for us. And so God allows that generation to, to kind of wander around in the wilderness until they all die. And Moses dies, and then Joshua uh, leads the people of Israel into the promised land. That's the book of Joshua. That begins the, the books of history. And, and so we kind of know how that works out, and we know that they go to the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But it doesn't take long for them to, uh, they want a king, and God gives them a king. Uh, it doesn't take long before they, they began to have some division, and so there's a northern kingdom, and then there's a southern kingdom, and it doesn't take long for the people began to worship the, the idols of the land, the Baals and others. Uh, the people did what was evil. They had evil kings. They turned from God. God graciously would send prophet after prophet, and so we have all those prophets in the Old Testament. That, that, those are God's messengers going to His people to warn them to turn back to God and uh, we know they, they refuse to. They mistreat the prophets. And so the northern kingdom is taken captive by the Assyrians. And that's around 722. And they're taken, scattered, exiled, and we really don't hear any more about the, the northern king, kingdom. That's the ten tribes of Israel. 
The southern kingdom, they also did what was evil. And, and so God sent the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar in 606. And Israel was defeated and, and many of the, the, the Jews were deported to Babylon. We refer to that as the exile. And uh, the Jews that stayed behind in in Israel, in, in Jerusalem, they later rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. And so uh, in 586, uh, the Babylonians came and they completely destroyed Jerusalem, tore down the walls, tore down the temple, the one that Solomon had built. And, and so that was around 586. And uh, thankfully, the story doesn't end there because God would later uh, allow a remnant of his people to return to the land, rebuild the temple, uh, reestablish uh, the, the walls and the kingdom, and, and we're going to talk about that. But the book of Nehemiah is a book about God using a man, and his name is Nehemiah, uh, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And what we'll find is that Nehemiah looked to God, and God blessed him with amazing leadership. And I really, I, I think the book of Nehemiah is maybe the first leadership book uh, that we have. Uh, and we're going to notice some leadership characteristics of, uh, of Nehemiah as we go through this book. And, uh, and as we kick off this series, we, we should acknowledge that, that most churches today lack some leadership. And so it's important that we train up leaders and we ask God to raise some up for us. And uh, I believe that as we go through the book of Nehemiah, I think you'll come to love this book. I think that your faith will be renewed. And, and we'll pray that God will bring some spiritual renewal uh, to us individually and as a church. And that's what he did in his land through, through Nehemiah. So uh, I invite you to stand. We're going to read chapter 1. And uh, here my prayers has been uh, is that God would just teach me afresh what he wants me to know about his work. And so uh, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Shizlel, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Pray with me. Father, as we begin this journey through the book of Nehemiah, we, we invite you to just teach us afresh 
some things about uh, your kingdom and about your ways, about your promises. Uh, Lord, you took a, a man named Nehemiah who was willing to, to be used, and, and you used him to, to rebuild the walls and to accomplish some purposes to bring really revival to your people. Uh, Lord, we know that you want to, uh, to bring revival to our lives, and uh, you want to build your church, and you want your church to, to have an impact on the community. And Lord, there's lots of things you want to accomplish in us individually and, and as a body of believers. And so we pray that you will use this book of Nehemiah mightily uh, in this body for your glory and, and for our influence here in, in Burlington and this surrounding area. And uh, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So I'm just going to jump in there, and uh, we're introduced in the first verse, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hecalay. We're introduced to, to Nehemiah. Uh, his name means Yahweh has comforted. Yahweh has comforted. And so uh, just on your outline, the person, uh, the author, the, the one who's going to lead uh, this journey is Nehemiah. Nehemiah was born, uh, he's a Jew, he was born while the Jews were exiled in Babylon. So Jerusalem was destroyed in 586, Nehemiah is born after that, and uh, Nehemiah is kind of like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He arose to a, a position of influence in the courts of a foreign god. And so he is the cupbearer, if you look in verse 11, the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. Now, if you ever wanted a sweet job, it would be that of a cupbearer. And, and we might not think that the cupbearer is all that important, uh, but this is a very important position in, in ancient societies because the king didn't want to be poisoned. And so the cupbearer kind of guarded the wine, served the wine, tasted the wine before it was given to the king to, to make sure it was safe. And, and so this was a, a trusted position. Uh, and, and this position had lots of access to the king. And so Nehemiah was the cupbearer. And I just was thinking about that. What a great position. And it would have been easy for him to be unconcerned about the condition of the Jews in Jerusalem. He could have said something like, you know, I hate to hear that. I hate to hear about their walls. But, you know, I, I got a job to do, and it's a, I don't want to lose this job, and so I, I'll pray for you. It would have been easy to have that kind of view about this. But, but Nehemiah, was, he, cared, uh, he cared enough to use his position of influence to help his people accomplish a huge task. And that task was to rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. They were in rubble. And he is going to go there and lead them to rebuild the walls. And so the more, most important thing I want you to know about Nehemiah is that he is a man of God. And he immediately sought God in prayer. And God blessed him with wisdom and patience and perseverance and a plan. And everything he needed, God gave to him. And, and so Nehemiah is a great leader. And I think the main reason is because his dependence upon God. And we, we're going to see that prayer was a priority in his life. And, and one of my prayers as we go through this series is that God would, would raise up more leaders like Nehemiah. I, my prayer is that God would make me a, a leader like Nehemiah, a leader who is dependent upon God for everything. And, and the church is in need of such leaders. And, uh, and if you want to be a God-honoring leader in Christ's church, then I think prayer ought to be a priority as you walk in dependence upon God. So the person is Nehemiah, the, the period. 
uh, is in verse 1, in the month of Shizlev, in the 20th year. Uh, and so the month of Shizlev was the ninth month. That would have been like November, December time frame in the you know, Jewish calendar. It's the winter time. And so it's the 20th year when King Artaxerxes is the king of, uh, is the king. And so uh, the year is 445 B.C. And, uh, and so if we have, a, we have a little table, but 606 is when the Babylonians first came uh, to Jerusalem and uh, defeated them, took many of them captive. That was 606. That was, the, again, the first time. Well, later on they rebelled, and, and so uh, they came back in 586 and, again, destroyed the temple and, and everything. Well, the, the Babylonian Empire was the, the power, the world power of that day. But in 539 B.C., uh, King Cyrus, the king of Persia, uh, they defeated the Babylonians. Now, King Cyrus was an unusual king. He was humane. He, uh, as a matter of fact, in his first year that he reigned, he issued a decree that permitted the Jews to return to their homeland and to rebuild their temple. Now, the interesting thing is Isaiah the prophet had prophesied that. The prophet spoke beforehand. So Isaiah 44, verse 28, who says of Cyprus, Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying to Jerusalem, She shall be built of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. You know Isaiah spoke that before Cyrus was even born? Isn't that amazing? Isaiah spoke to the people and said, God's going to raise up a servant, a king, and he's going to allow his people to go back home and to rebuild all this. And so uh, he told about that. And so when Cyrus allowed the Jews to return, that was around 538, between 538 and 536, uh, the first group of Jews went back home under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua. You can read about that in the book of Ezra, uh, chapter 1. Uh, but they started working on the temple. They, they laid the foundation. Uh, but there was obviously opposition from the neighbors. And so the, it took them 15 years to actually rebuild the temple. Uh, and so the temple was uh, reconstructed around 516 B.C. So King Artaxerxes ruled from 465 to, to 424, about 40 years. And uh, in, the, in the seventh year, 458, Ezra led a group back to Jerusalem. And then in the 20th year, we pick up in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah uh, goes back to Jerusalem and begins this work. And so this was the 20th year of Artaxerxes, 445 B.C. Now, you know, the first sermon is the hardest because you've got to lay out all these facts. And you, you can study these things and get dates if you're interested in those things. But so it's 445. The person is Nehemiah. Uh, the period is 445 B.C., We'll talk a little bit more about that next week because that was in one of Daniel's prophecies and it's a very important date. Uh, but the problem, what's, what's the problem that Nehemiah faces? Well, uh, verse 2, one of his brothers came and some other men from Judah and Nehemiah asked them uh, how things were going. Verse 3, and they said to me, the remnant, the remnant is the ones that, that survived and now are going back. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. In other words, things aren't going well. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. 
And so I shared some dates with you. The, the first Jews went back home in 536 B.C., and now we're at 445 B.C. And so over 90 years has transpired, and the walls are still in rubble. Now, maybe they tried to re rebuild the walls, and the neighbors came and tore them down. We don't know any of that, but what we know is the walls are down, the gates have been burned, and it was a really big deal for the walls to be broken down. If your walls were broken down, you had no defense. It was considered a shame. You were considered weak and defenseless, and any enemy could come against you because you have no walls to defend yourselves. And so that was the reality. And, uh, you know, sometimes a good leader, the first thing you do is you just are honest about the reality. And the reality for Israel is that things weren't going good. And uh, they needed a leader. They needed someone to go and help them rebuild, and, and they needed someone to even bring some spiritual renewal, and, and Nehemiah is the man. Uh, now, just remind us, the reason that uh, Jerusalem was destroyed in the first place was because of the people's turning away from God. And, and what we realize is that there's this kind of continuous pattern uh, we read in the Old Testament of God's people. Uh, God, would, God gave them the land, and they became complacent. And then they began to sin, they began to worship idols, they began uh, doing the things that the people in the land did, and that sin led to judgment. I mean, God would send the prophets and warn them, but they wouldn't listen. And so they would continue in their sin, and then God would bring judgment. He, he brought judgment through the, through the Assyrians and through the Babylonians. And then sometimes the people would realize their condition, they would repent, and, and God would bring renewal and, and blessings, and we see that over and over. And, and so whenever God would hear their prayers and, and restore them, they would kind of get complacent again, and they'd begin to sin again, and they'd worship the false idols, and they would intermarry with foreign ladies who would lead them astray. They, they would fail to keep the Sabbath. And uh, if you study the prophecies in Daniel, one of the reasons that the Jews were exiled for 70 years is because they refused to observe the Sabbath. And so the, the Lord gave His people a Sabbath. Uh, you work six days, you rest the seventh. You work the land six years, you let the land rest the seventh. Well, they did that for a little while, but then they thought, no, we're not going to give the land rest. We're, we're, just gonna, we're not going to observe the Sabbath. And so they forsook that. And uh, they plowed the fields every year. They didn't trust God. They didn't follow God. And so God decided that he was going to give his land its Sabbath of rest. And so 70 years. The Second Chronicles 36, verse 21. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. And so we'll talk more about this as we go. But uh, they were exiled for 70 years in the land. It, it rested. Because God said, I'm going to give the land its rest that my people were supposed to give it, and they decided not to. And, uh, and so if you do some math, you figure out, well, like for 70 times 7 years, or 490, for years, God's people refused to obey God. They'd only been in the land 800 years, and so about 500 of those years, they decided we're going to do it our way instead of God's way. And listen, God doesn't just blow it off, does he? No. And so he gave his land 70 years of rest. And he sent King Nebuchadnezzar. Isaiah refers to Nebuchadnezzar as God's servant. He sends Nebuchadnezzar to, uh, to defeat his people, to capture his people. And, and the church, we sometimes wonder, well, what's that got to do with us? Well, we got the same problem the Jewish people had. 
we refuse, we ignore God's destructions. We call it sin. And their sin uh, caused them to be defeated by their enemies and to be taken captive, and they lost their freedoms. And here's what I can tell you. Uh, God's people can disobey uh, for only so long, and then judgment comes. And uh, judgment came. He warned them, didn't he? He graciously warned them for years. He sent prophet after prophet. They refused to listen, and then judgment came. Now, God's merciful, and He loves His people, and so He later sent uh, uh, someone to, to rescue them and to bring renewal, and He does the same for us. But listen, we have the same problem. We ignore God's instructions. We sin, and it always leads to judgment. And, and I'm amazed sometimes at the number of people that don't understand we're sinners. And they'll say, well, I, you know, I'm, I mess up a little bit, but I'm, I don't know that I'd call, call me a sinner. Well, listen, we're sinners. We, we go against, I mean, we're to love one another. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, we can just go down through the list and, and all the things we, we don't do that God tells us to do and the things that we, we're sinners. And uh, there are some people who think that this, as long as their good outweighs their bad, they're, they're going to be okay before God. Listen, don't be deceived by the enemy. God is not weighing our good versus our bad. God's standard is perfect. Matthew 5, 48, be ye therefore perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. If you're trying to, to work your way to heaven, you've got to be perfect, and I don't think there's any in this room. Amen? Only Jesus was perfect. And so realize today, you're a sinner. We're all sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And our sin separates us from God, and, and our sin is going to be judged. And there's always good news when we recognize that because God invites us to turn from our sins, to repent, and to run to Jesus to find forgiveness. And we know Jesus came and, and He took our judgment. He took the punishment for my sins and, and now I can be saved. And He offers that forgiveness for you. I want you to know that. And so here's what we have. Nehemiah is informed about the problem, uh, the shame, the, the walls are, are down in rubble. Now listen to verse 4. As soon as I heard these words. I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And continued fasting and praying. Isn't that amazing? This guy's got a pretty cushy job. He hears about the condition of his people. And he weeps and mourns and fasts for, for days. And I think, you know, we hear a... Or we do a lot of moaning about the condition of our land, but I don't know that we do much weeping and mourning and fasting for it, do we? This week, I, you know, it was anniversary of Roe versus Wade in 1973, and since then, 60 million babies have been aborted. And we don't weep much over that anymore. We just kind of assume that's the way it is. We we got these cards where we've identified some ones. And I, I just was thinking this week, what if we, when we saw those names, if we just wept and mourned and fasted over them? I, don't you think God would hear that? If we had a heart for, for these that are lost, and uh, what would God do if we just committed ourselves to, to fasting over some things that are, are not pleasing to God? I mean, we don't, we don't even fast much anymore because we, we don't like to deny ourselves. And I, I'm looking in the mirror when I say that. And so Nehemiah hears the condition. He weeps and mourns and fasts. And then the, the first thing that he does, the first action is he, 
he prays, praying before the God of heaven. And uh, so the first priority, I think, of Nehemiah, he's a man of prayer. And I think a good leader in God's house is a man of prayer. And uh, the first thing he did was just unburden his heart to God. And, and the rest of this chapter is Nehemiah's prayer, and we're going to walk through it quickly. Abraham Lincoln once said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of those about me seemed insufficient for the day. And so I, as I was studying this this week, I, I, just, I wonder what it would take for, for our country and our, our churches to, to see that we have nowhere else to go but to God. And so Nehemiah's in this important position, but he immediately he humbles himself before God, and he comes to the point of tears and fasting and prayer. So let's briefly look at the content of this prayer. Uh, starts in verse 5 through verse 11, and we sometimes use acrostic for prayer. It's A-C-T-S, Acts, and, and we sometimes say that this would help our praying. A is for adoration, C is confession, T is thanksgiving, S is supplication. I'm going to talk about those four things this morning, and hopefully we can have some helps for our prayer life. But we see all four of those in the Lord's Prayer, and we see those in Nehemiah's Prayer. And so let's look at them. The first thing is adoration. Nehemiah begins in verse 5, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He, he begins by acknowledging some of the attributes of God, the, the sovereignty of God. O, o God, the, the God of heaven. He uses the word Yahweh, Lord, the covenant name of God. You, you're the covenant-keeping God, the, the God of heaven. And he begins to talk about attributes, uh, uh, the the greatness of God, the awesomeness of God. He, Nehemiah reminds himself of who it is that he's praying to. And, uh, you know, sometimes I skip over that. Isn't that foolish? We ought to take just a few moments when we come to pray and just remember who it is we're, we're crying out to. Uh, the Creator, the, the God of heaven and earth. And, and, and not only should we be reminded of the privilege to pray, but we want to be reminded of whom it is we're praying. And, and God's got lots of names. You, you can get one of those books. It's got different names of God. El Shaddai, Almighty God. El Elyon, the, the Lord Most High. And you can, as you pray, you can remind yourselves of some of the ways that God has revealed Himself in the Scriptures. And Nehemiah reminds him that you're a promise-keeping God. You, you keep covenant with your people. And, and he reminds himself of the steadfast love, the blessed of God, the, the loving kindness and mercy of God. Let your ear, verse 6, be attentive to and your eyes open to hear the prayers of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. And so he begins with adoration. And I just want to encourage you, this, when you come to pray, just spend a few moments thinking about who it is that you pray. And even the bigger your requests are going to be, uh, you ought to just remind yourselves of how big and awesome and great our God is. So adoration is first. And then we see confession. The end of verse 6, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and the statutes and the rules. You told us how you wanted us to live, and we haven't done it. And I like the fact here that Nehemiah includes himself, doesn't he? He's not just saying, no, we're in a terrible country. He's saying, I, I'm just like the rest of us. 
he acknowledges his sin. To, uh, you know, it's easy to acknowledge the sins of everybody else, isn't it? Yeah. And so, so I mean, we all are sinners. And, and as a church, uh, we're made up of individuals, and, and all of us play a role in the purity of the, of the body. And so one of Nehemiah's characteristics is, is that he realizes that he is weak and capable of sin just as much as anybody else. And I think sometimes we forget that. Uh, it was Paul who said, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. And so if you ever get to a point where you think, I'm, I'm, I'm too holy for that, you better be careful. Because the enemy will take you out. I've had friends that were there. You think you stand, you take heed. And this, this confession of sins, that, that should be an ongoing, regular part of our prayer life. Any, any, the, I mean, I sin every day. Anybody with me? I mean, I don't do, I mean, there's days where I go and I don't do the Great Commission. That's a sin. If, if Jesus tells me to go and make disciples and I'm not doing that, it's a sin. There are days where I, we're sinners. And so part of the prayer life of believers is that we confess our sin. Every day we ought to take some time and confess our sins to God. That, that ought to be a part of our lives, my words and my thoughts and my actions and my sins of omission. Part of the Christian life is, is repentance and confession of our sins. If you don't take some time, you ought to put that on your prayer list and say, I need to spend some time just evaluating my day or my yesterday and confess my sins. Third thing is Thanksgiving. Uh, Nehemiah is, is, is thankful to God. Remember, verse 8, the word that you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you. I mean, God told him up front, if you don't want to follow me, then I'll, I'll punish you. But, verse 9, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen. He's talking about I'll bring them back to, to Jerusalem where my name dwells. If, if you'll return to me. Verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Listen, Nehemiah is thankful that God keeps his word. And even though the people had rebelled against God and refused to listen to the prophets, he knew that God was faithful, and if they would return, that he would bring them back. In Deuteronomy, we're, we're given an option of blessings or cursings, blessings for obedience and cursings for our disobedience, and, and the people chose to disobey God. Uh, but if they returned to him, there was these promises. And, uh, and so there was punishment for their disobedience. And, but, but Nehemiah was so thankful that God was faithful to his people and that if they would repent, uh, he would pour out blessings. And uh, in a sense, Nehemiah wants to stand before God as a representative of his people. And in humility and in genuine sorrow and repentance, he seeks the mercy and the blessings of God. And uh, listen, I'm so thankful today for God's forgiveness. I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that it was my sin that sent Jesus to the cross. I, I rebelled against God and that God would send Jesus to, to take my sins. And he would not only forgive me, he would adopt me into his family. He would give me an eternal inheritance. And I love to, to talk to people about how to be saved and why Jesus came and went to the cross and, and how his death and resurrection provides the forgiveness of our sins and how if they turn from their sins, they can. I love to tell people about that. And often people will say, well, I just don't, I just don't see how God could forgive my sins. You ever hear that? Listen, I, I don't understand how God would save me, but he did. I don't understand how he'd save some of you, but he did. And the good news is he offers salvation. And so I'm just thankful for his amazing grace. 
that he saved us and he invites us to go tell others the good news. And then the last, the, the D, is supplication. This is when we uh, bring our petitions before God. Verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayers of your servant. I, I, he calls himself a servant, doesn't he? And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. This man is, is the king. Uh, and so Nehemiah says, God, hear my prayer. And uh, I, I'm coming as a servant. I'm coming in reliance upon you. And just give me mercy in the sight of King Artaxerxes. And we'll read more about that next week. Uh, but Nehemiah knew that the king was kind of the key for him being able to, uh, to go back to Jerusalem and, and lead them in rebuilding the walls. And he knew that God was the key to moving the, the king's heart. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah said, king, he, he's a powerful man, but he's in your hand, God. And so give me mercy in his sight. And uh, the missionary Hudson Taylor said, it is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. And so what we're going to find in Nehemiah is that God heard Nehemiah's prayers and he used Nehemiah to accomplish his purpose and, and they go back and they rebuild these walls and they have revival. And, and we're going to see that God gave Nehemiah a vision in regards to how to accomplish it. And, uh, and, and I believe along the way God will help us to see a vision that he has for this church. Uh, Nehemiah begins first by realizing the situation that they were in. And, and some of you this morning, you need to realize the situation that you're living in. And, and listen, some of you are still in your sin. And you've never come to God in repentance and faith. And, and uh, you're lost. The Bible would say you're lost. You're living under the wrath of God. And, and uh, judgment is coming. But this morning, I want you to know that God invites you to acknowledge your sin and find forgiveness and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so, listen, would you, would you just be honest this morning with God about sin and knowing that He offers to forgive those sin? And, and I think some of us this morning need to learn from Nehemiah just about the importance of prayer. That when he saw the condition, or when he heard about the condition, he wept and mourned and fasted and, and prayed. And maybe you've grown a little insensitive to some things. Maybe our prayer ought to be, God, will you break our heart for the things that break your heart? That'd be a good prayer for us to pray, wouldn't it? Maybe it's for lost people. Maybe God would want our hearts to be broken over people that are in our neighborhood or our workplace or in our family. They're not saved. We have about 140 names. We, we should have twice that many. If God would give us a heart for them, like his heart is, we'd have a lot more names and we, we would be broken over them. And so, God, soften our hearts to the things that break your heart. And this morning, as we prepare for an invitation, just identify your situation. Identify your sins. Confess them to God and cry out to him for forgiveness and blessings. As a church, I... I mean, I think we can learn some things as a church. Is just that we acknowledge our situation. Maybe we acknowledge we're not having the impact on our community that we'd like to have, and we're not seeing lives changed, and and we're not raising up leaders. There's no need to stick your hand head in the sand, is it? 
Acknowledge where you are and cry out to God in, in mourning and fasting and prayer and, and dependence upon Him. And the same thing applies in our individual lives. Some, some of you are in a mess. Admit where you are and mourn, fast. Confess your sins and, and pray that God would, would bless your efforts as you seek Him and as you walk in His ways and give you guidance and blessings. And, and so, listen, who needs to just come before God in humility and prayer? And uh, as we begin this series, let's, let's just have some freedom to let God do some work in our lives. And uh, if, if you need God to do some work in your lives, don't, don't worry about what anybody else thinks. God loves you enough to speak to your heart, to invite you to respond, to acknowledge your sin or your situation and, and find His help. And so let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for this book of Nehemiah, and uh, Lord, we can respond like Nehemiah did to the situations that we see around us. Sometimes we need to mourn when we think about the condition of our land, and maybe the lostness, maybe the, the needs around us. We, we should mourn sometimes, and forgive us for not being more sensitive, Lord, we should fast some and pray some and Lord just help us to humble ourselves to make prayer a priority and to genuinely seek your face realizing that that we need your help and Lord there's some here this morning they need your help give them a humble heart hear their prayers as they cry out to you and we pray this morning in Jesus name amen will you stand and we're going to sing this invitation for you this morning. If you need to be saved, I'd love to talk to you about that. Or maybe you got something going on, you just uh, you need to come and get before God on your face. Or maybe you got somebody you've identified as your one, and you you wrote them down, but you you ain't really wept over them, and you haven't prayed much. Maybe you just need to say, God, I'm sorry. I I know they're lost, and I just want to have a heart for them. You're welcome this morning to observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, if you want to join the church, we invite you to do that. If you, whatever the Lord puts on your heart, you, this is your time to to respond to Him.